Hello and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. What leadership approach do you take? Do you command and control or have a more inclusive style? Some micromanage, yet others are quick to delegate. Today we take a look into the mind of a successful leader. How do good CEOs and business leaders think, feel, manage teams and manage themselves? How you manage yourself and your team has a direct impact on engagement, happiness and productivity. Our first guest today says that leaders who coach can double their engagement score. She's an author, a registered psychologist, holds an MBA and a PhD in leadership. The perfect combo today to talk about, to talk about leadership and to find out more with leadership specialists. I'd like to welcome Dr. Karen Morley. Thank you very much, Jackie. Good to have you here. Now, Karen, every leader or business owner wants to lighten their load or reduce pressure on themselves. What are some of the techniques or tips that they could go about starting to think about how to reduce that pressure? Mm. I think one of the most important things is to be able to uh, be mindful and keep focused on what it is that you really want to achieve in your role and in your organisation. So I think part of the problem for leaders is that they do get caught up very much um, in the 24-7 routine and the need to get everything done and a lot of people are working across multiple time zones and so in a sense a lot of leaders just go with that flow. I think that the smarter leaders and the leaders who are more in control of that sort of workload are the ones who can mindfully stop and pay attention um, and keep you know, one eye on what needs to be done now and what's important, but another one on the future and the kind of organisation they want to be in and the kind of leader that they want to be. So what advice would you give uh, someone who is working on by themselves, like they're, they're, I suppose they're their own leader, uh, they don't have yeah. a team they're managing, but they're still feeling the, uh, the, the pressure, they're still feeling the, the heavy workload. What are some, what's some advice that we could give solopreneurs or, or micro business owners of how they could manage themselves better? Yes, and this, this will be advice I can give myself as well. Oh, good. Um, I think... <laughs> I think it's similar to being mindfully aware of what it is you want to achieve in the longer term. And I think, um, and I know from my own experience, that when you're working on your own, sometimes it's harder to do that. Um, So for me, a a part of the way that I do that is to be a part of a broader community of people who are like me. Um, And that keeps reminding me of why I want to run my practice and how I want to run it and what I want to achieve. So I think that's one of the things. Um, And I find also setting up a a 90-day rhythm uh, around this is what I'm going to focus on for the next 90 days, these three or four things are what's most important, and then setting up a kind of a rhythm on a daily basis where you're, you're working through your list, you're working through the tasks and the projects, and keeping focused on that. So um, as time seems to pass very quickly, you're still making sure that you achieve the things that you want to do because I think without that kind of accountability, it can be very hard. It can be very easy to just respond to what's coming up rather than to respond to what's perhaps longer term um, or more about the, you know, the practice or the business that you want to, to own and be. It's an interesting term, rhythm. Why did you use that and not routine? 
Ah, that's interesting. Maybe I'm a bit more kinesthetically focused. Um, But I do see it as more of a rhythm um, and something that occurs over something like a 90-day cycle makes sense. I think a routine... I guess a routine sounds a bit boring to me. And you know but they're what actually quite boring great. and disciplined things that yeah. you must do to be successful, whether you're working on your own or you're working in a larger organisation. And so having a rhythm that's about starting up over 90 days, looking at what you're achieving, and then at the end of that, you're reviewing that. Um, you're making note of you know, what was hard, what was easy, what worked, um, and what, what you've actually achieved. So you're also noticing your progress. I think with a routine, it's more about these are the things I've got to do and keep doing. Mm, so yes. I think that there is that notion of a, a cycle which brings you to more of completion rather than something that's going on forever. Yeah, look, I, I, I just I, it got my attention and I thought it actually is probably more accurate because it makes me, when I'm looking at the word rhythm, going with flow, so it's like the ebbs and flows. So the, the routine mm-hmm. sounds very sort of task-focused, I suppose, where, mm-hmm. where the rhythm sort of gives you, you know, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a good rhythm or I'm in a bad bit or I'm, bit, bit, um, I'm feeling a bit tired or I'm feeling really good. So you can actually work with that rhythm a little bit more. And why 90 days, Karen? I think that's long enough to get some things started if you want to take a fresher approach or you've got a new target market um, product that you want to work with. Um, And by the the end of 90 days, if you've spent your time putting in some effort and had a go, experimented, you've had enough time to see whether that works or not, so whether or not you'll invest in that for the next 90 days. Um, I think probably people who are working in different kinds of industries, there might be different seasonal patterns that it makes sense to perhaps pick um, a different amount of time to feed into that sort of rhythm. But I think 90 days, um, yeah, yeah it, it's enough time to try things and see whether or not they work. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really, really fascinating concept. Now, I just want to have a quick chat about this book that you've, your latest book, because uh, mm-hmm. you've written, is it, is, it, is it your second book? Yes, it is. It is, yeah, great. We'll talk. Your first book was about gender balanced leadership, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm just again a little bit curious there. How do men and women differ from a leadership perspective? I think there are stereotypes that you know prescribe the ways that men and women can be, and boys and girls can be, um, and that means that they're the sorts of uh, patterns that we develop and what we're rewarded for. Um, and I think those patterns show up in uh, the kinds of roles we're interested in um, and um, the sort of careers we seek. I mean, my view, just to, to summarise it, is that I would like to take, you know, the gender constraints away from leadership um, and really open up, you know, the full range of behaviours to all leaders so that, you know, men can be caring, coaching leaders um, and women might sometimes be more directive, strategic leaders. Um, but but we're not so constrained by the conventions um, of gender. There are a lot of discussions about women having particular characteristics that they bring to leadership, which are really positive, things like being kind of caring and having more of a coaching approach and perhaps being better at managing team dynamics um, and men are better at 
strategy and the bigger picture and perhaps some of the financial things. Um, but I think if we if we open all of those options up to men and women, then that gives people more opportunities to find their own fit uh, in a more open way. And it also gives organisations more opportunity to fill different kinds of roles. And then rather than leadership being kind of one thing or the other, it's actually broader um, and it's more encompassing. That is and that means very leaders can be more flexible to fit what's actually needed right now. What does the organisation need right now? Do we need to drive and control um, and bring some things home? Or is now the time when we need to think about growth um, and think about development and a lot more creativity and experimentation? Yeah, I, I think a focus on human nature uh, mm. because I think the gender does get very distracting uh, yeah. as to the potential. And look, at the end of the day, it's about, you've, you know, are you a natural leader? Do you have leadership capabilities? Do you have leadership skills? And, uh, and we're not great at everything. We can't do everything because we're human. Mm. So mm, fo- focus right. on your strengths and then get a team around you to help support those areas that you're not so great at. So that's very refreshing. Now, that was your gender balance leadership. I just had to ask that's that. Right. I was curious. That's a great conversation. It's a whole other interview. But let's, let's get on to this <laughs> current book. That's a big one. It sure is. Uh, let's get on to this current book, Lead Like a Coach. I loved the title of it, uh, How to Get the Most Out of Any Team. So this Lead Like a Coach, I like this Pay the Coaching Approach Forward concept. Can you tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about that? Yeah, I think that one of the things um, about coaching is that it is fundamentally about development. Um, But it's also about getting work done. It's a particular style that's more supportive and can also be challenging. Um, So I think that in terms of paying it forward, when leaders are working with their team members and they're coaching them, they're not necessarily just focusing on what's here and now, what has to be done today or what has to be done tomorrow. The conversations they have are also about what needs to happen next year and and the year after so that if there are enough leaders in the organisation who take that sort of approach, they're focusing both on now and the future, um, there is that opportunity to develop a culture where more people are thinking like that. Yeah, right. I think that's a, that's a really, really good good part. Now, your background as a, as a psychologist, what techniques do you use from your psychology background uh, when you're talking about leaders and what can leaders do to improve themselves as leaders? What, what are some tips and techniques that they could easily adopt? Yeah, I think some really practical things that leaders can do. One, just structure some coaching into the daily routine. I mean, there's quite a bit of research that shows that leaders have a lot of the skills that they need to have to be coaches, but they're not necessarily confident about using it, or they wait or think that there needs to be, you know, a big coaching conversation. Um, And if instead of seeing it like that, they see it as something that can be done um, every day and make it a routine, you might spend a few minutes thinking about somebody that you want to have a coaching conversation with, go and have that right now. It might be that you're walking from one meeting to the next and you're with somebody and instead of answering the question that they put to you, you might ask a question back, you know, have you, or how might you think of that? 
what are some alternatives to how we might go about that? So that's coaching. It doesn't have to be big. Um, and in fact, the research that comes out of psychology shows that by breaking behaviour into very small component parts of micro behaviours, things that are quite easy to do, they're much easier to become uh, or to turn into new habits. Uh, so uh, yeah, structure right. something, make it small, do it often, um, and again, probably in, the, in your 90 days, you'll see that there's a difference that's being made. Um, yeah. So I think that's one of the core things um, that leaders need to do. And I, I think, think I've hinted at another, which is to ask questions rather than answering them. Um, I think a, a lot of leaders feel the pressure of needing to have the answers um, and also in the fast pace of work, it's quicker to answer. So sort of biting your tongue from time to time and instead of answering, even if you do know the answer, asking the question so that the other person has the opportunity you know, to, to stretch their minds and to think differently about what they're going to do. Yeah, I think um, that's wonderful advice, Karen, about... Or, you know, that mirroring technique of uh, someone asks you a question rather than feeling that pressure to give them an answer. Ask mm. them a question back. Get them to think a little bit deeper about it because uh, sometimes we can take shortcuts. Uh, mm. and, and I think that's a really easily adopted tip yeah. that uh, most leaders can use. Uh, now, your book, just to remind our listeners, we are talking to Dr. Karen Morley. She has written another great book called Lead Like a Coach, How to Get the Most Out of Any Team, and it's available at all good bookshops. And if anyone would like to know a bit more about Karen, you can find her on Twitter, and of course you can find her on LinkedIn, and her website is Karen Morley com.au and we'll put a link to our Facebook page as well. Karen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Jackie. Thank I've you. enjoyed it. Uh, so thank have you. I. Very much fascinating insights as always here on Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Businesses. Today we talk about how to work and think like a CEO. And our next guest is a founder of a company called CEO Confidential. It's a great brand name. He understands the importance of creating a safe place to unpack issues and reflect on new and creative solutions. He is the co-director of CEO Confidential and has had a lifetime of experience working alongside CEOs, executives and community leaders. I'd like to welcome to the program Lewis Rao. Thank you, Jackie. Nice to have you on, Lewis. Now, CEO Confidential, how long have you been doing that for? Uh, this is in its uh, CEO Confidential in its sixth year. Sixth year? Yeah. And so what made you start that business six years ago? Um, I've been a coach for over 25 years and... Uh, I came to the realisation that if an organisation is going to change, it's because people at the top change. So it's the C-suite people who actually uh, uh, direct the change and they therefore have to, in a sense, be the change. But these, this group of people really don't see coaching as something that's necessarily uh, directed at them. They see I think the perception is often that it, that coaching is remedial and that it's for people 
uh, more in the operational rather than the strategic side of the business, and therefore they don't see they need it. So I wanted to have a brand that didn't include the name coaching. Yeah, I think that's very clever. In a sense, the process that we go through. And uh, Mm. and it's not so much a process, it's really a structured conversation that I take these people through because it gets very lonely at the top and there aren't too many people that they can actually have a conversation with, either for strategic reasons or uh, they're not sure how far the conversation will go. So my role really is to actually uh, keep the conversational space open for these people to be able to share some of the things that they normally wouldn't share with others. And this, this, the, the value is that this freedom to share uh, around some of the issues that they grapple with, the voice in the head that they can't really feel that they can share with anyone else. And in, and in the course of actually sharing this conversation, You've actually got to process information slightly differently. Uh, It's all very well to have that thought in the head, but when you have to articulate it, the process actually changes, and often people get insights into uh, whatever the issue is just by actually speaking about it and having that conversation. Yes, so, you know, to get to a CEO level or a C-suite level... Uh, you certainly need uh, a good, decent amount of grey matter between the ears, but you can also get stuck in thinking a certain way. Uh, you know, it's worked before. Let's do it again. How do you get the C-suite to think differently? Yes, great question. I think that uh, it's often I use questions a lot uh, as as. As the coach, I I try not to tell. I try not to actually come up with any solution because I believe the best solution probably lies within them rather than with me because they have more information than I have. So my approach really is to try and provoke their current thinking. As human beings, we're somewhat habitual in our thinking. We tend to have default thinking. And my role is to disrupt or challenge that thinking uh, so that they get actually a better understanding of what the choices are, uh, what uh, what some of the way forward might be that hitherto has remained uh, uh, hidden from them. So it's really a provocative question approach rather than a telling approach. And how do you deal with uh, clients at that C-suite level that might be a little bit resistant at first? Uh, they may need to go away and think about it because uh, they might get a little bit defensive if it's too shocking to yep. their current thinking. Yep. Have, you got, have you got a process of how you manage that? I don't have a process so much, but I, I use a series of questions that really... They're quite easy questions, but they're somewhat often difficult to uh, um, to answer in the sense that a lot of people are not necessarily aware, aware of the way they impact and their language will often give you a clue as to their approach. Mm. So I will actually challenge some of the language and uh, I might say, so, so where did you learn how to do this? And often it'll be a prior 
mentor they might have had or how do you know it's time to do whatever and these are they're not really hard questions but they they make people think because often the questions that are asked the people have a pre-prepared response I want to get beyond that and uh, if people you know what you're really saying is what's the difference between a conscript and a volunteer and I try and move the conscripts into being a volunteer and say something like, well, now that you're here, what would you like to talk about? Now that you're here, what are the issues that uh, you're grappling with? And how do you approach that? And uh, what if you could actually overcome this issue? How would you feel about that? Um, so it's a mixture of uh, prov- provoking questions but also getting into how they feel because I believe that change is an emotional process. It's not necessarily an analytical or logical process. You ask any smoker that. They all know it's bad for their health, but do they change? No, because they're emotionally attached to this habit. And so I have to, I have to get beyond that and uh, really challenge why they're, you know, now that you're here, what would you like to do type of question. Because I think one of the prerequisites for a successful outcome is these people have to invest energy into the process. Otherwise, change will not occur. Uh, People have to invest a commitment because it is about them and the value is for them. Uh, It's nothing to do with me as such. And it requires their attention to actually lead themselves moment by moment in any conversation with another individual. And it often requires a a parking of the ego because the ego wants to keep us safe and therefore it says what we've done in the past is safe and this new approach, we don't know what uh, the outcome will be and therefore the ego will often get in the way of people making changes. Yeah, so... With your vast experience and years of experience, I'm sure there's there's no C-suite or senior manager you haven't seen. But have you noticed a trend like oh, in your, recent times that uh, common issues that, that senior managers are experiencing now compared to, say, five or ten years ago? Yes, I think that it's often that uh, complexity is a very big issue because the world is very, very complex these days and moving at such a pace that a lot of people feel that they're they're not up with it they're they're not and and often um some of them feel that they're a bit of a dud (laughs) and they hope to hell that people don't find out (laughs) that uh, they have these misgivings so in a sense it's about it's essentially what people i find is that they're technically very competent but often they have neglected to hone their people capability. And these days we rely more and more on people who have really specialist capability in the technical area. And the role of the C-suite individual is how to effectively lead that person to, for the best outcome. So a lot of it is how do I, how can this person improve their effectiveness with individuals so they become you know, where I talked about uh, volunteers and really good followers, not just compliant, you know, the difference between a a lifter and a leaner. And uh, 
it's how they can actually um, be seen as someone that uh, the technical people want to follow and therefore provide all the information because if they're complying, they're not going to provide all the information and sometimes little bits of information are really critical to the outcome. So it's about how do I enrol people now that as a C-suite, now that I have a clear vision and a direction of where we want to go, how do I bring people with me and how do I enrol them into this vision so that they invest their time and energy into it? Oh, it's fascinating. It's always fascinating listening, listening to you, Lewis Rao. Really enjoy our conversations. And uh, I know if anyone listening here is in the C-suite or knows someone in the C-suite or wants to find out more about Lewis Rao and particularly CEO Confidential, you can vi- find Lewis on LinkedIn and on uh, your website, ceoconfidential.com.au. And the word confidential is really important to me. Uh, so nothing gets uh, said outside those conversations. And in fact, I won't bring what's happened in a previous session to the current session. That's up to the individual. It's not my role to check up on them. Yeah, I think that oh, that's a lovely way to finish off. I think that's really important. Lewis Rao, thank you very much for your valuable time today. Always fascinating insights. Thank you very much, Jackie, for the opportunity. Always a pleasure. You're listening to Taking Care of Business as we pick the best brains in the business world right here on RPP FM. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Jackie Mitchell on RPP FM, Taking Care of Business. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. As we break, in, break on through to the other side, that was the doors, of course, and our next guest happens to be a breakthrough leader. Her primary focus is to uh, foster and support current leaders and their leadership potential. She's curious about what makes leaders successful. She's an associate professor at Deakin University Business School. She has over 20 years' experience in the areas of business strategy, change management, whole of system capacity building, leadership coaching. She's a superstar. I love her. Her name is Helen Woods. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jackie. How are you? Great. Finally got you on the show. So I'm so thrilled that you're here. And, uh, Delighted and I, to be with you. Oh, it's great. I know we're going to break break through some thinking and some thinking techniques, and I love that concept. Now, what attracted you to breakthrough thinking? Look, what attracted me to breakthrough thinking? You know, I think it sort of happened without, without me really being conscious of uh, being attracted to this. And if the truth be known, for me, it's all about getting myself unstuck. I'm sure you know what it's like to be confronted with a big issue or a big problem or a challenge and think, how the hell am I going to get out of this? Mm. Um, And from a very early age, um, you know, I I think I've always been curious and walked up to a big challenge. So a few years ago, um, I I realised that um, I've actually been doing breakthrough thinking without even knowing what it was all about for, for many years back to when I was a kid in 17. When I was 17, I finished school. Uh, I lived in a country town in uh, Tassie, and I thought, this world isn't good enough for me. I need to go somewhere and do something with myself. Mm-hmm. And in a way, breakthrough thinking is kind of... Um, 
it's related to how you become relevant and stay relevant and, and be purposeful. So um, I'm blessed because in making this discovery about moving away into another state and to going to a university and in a being a, a sort of fresh environment, I was actually in the middle of breakthrough thinking, throwing myself into the deep end and knowing that I actually had to think on my feet. Yeah. So I suppose, uh, you know, that's also been a way in which I've actually um, used my coaching practice to magically... Um, review and to reflect on how breakthrough thinking has worked for me and of course I use it with other people. Yeah, well, I, well, so, I, I really think you you always have been ahead of your time because uh, it seems to be very popular now. You speak to a lot of uh, leaders, small business owners, entrepreneurs and most of them now are stuck mentally. They're stuck in their thinking, yeah. they're stuck there. Innovation is such a big important word now in business. And to be innovative and to think creatively and to problem solve, you need to get your thought. You need to become unstuck. But so many people get stuck. And I think it's the advent of, of our, this digital age we're at too, where so many distractions that it's more difficult now to have that thinking time to get unstuck. What's your view? Look, I think you're right. And I, I think a lot of people get stuck because they're not curious, Jackie. Ah, yes. And um, I've discovered that one of the one of my key strengths, a real asset to me, is that I'm curious. I like to um, get to the bottom of things. Mm. Uh, and I think what happens for a lot of people is that they slip into um, what we call default thinking. Mm. So default thinking is it, it doesn't take you anywhere. It's all about. Um, going back and, and relying on what you know rather than what you don't know. And it's probably a fairly lazy way of operating in the world. So it's a very, very quick path to getting stuck. Yeah. And another area uh, that, that you work in that you excel at, in my view, is you're such a great networker. And I think that sort of feeds your your curious nature anyway. But just talk about the importance of making connections and networking to improve yourself, I suppose, and in your business. Yeah, look, I, as an extrovert, of course, uh, probably like you, I, I love to be in conversation and discovering things about my world. Mm. And I think um, as an extrovert, um, I'm also a, a pretty out there kind of communicator. I love asking questions, love you know keeping people on their on their feet and really breakthrough thinking um, involves us in four levels of conversation and the first level of conversation is a, is a conversation that we have for relationship. Mm. So once we get into our networks and we start to do some networking around um, in clubs and groups and industry you know, um, organisations and whatever, we start to have conversations and find out what the other person is interested in. And as soon as we know what they're interested in, we can actually start to, to create a conversation that goes beyond what your interests are. It then sort of starts to evolve into, okay, I know a little, I might know a little bit about that or I might know nothing about that, but here are a few ideas. So I can actually contribute in a very generous way to um, breakthrough thinking, which is the, continuing the conversation into a conversation for possibility. Um, and the beauty thing is about that is that probably my ideas are nothing like the ideas that you would think would get you to um, to success or whatever you want to achieve. To achieve, 
Um, and then we, we kind of take it another step further. We, we, have a, we take possibility into opportunity. So what could you do with some of these, you know, your ideas and my ideas and then start to think about the future and what that might mean? And finally, um, particularly if I'm using this as a coaching tool, um, the, the final piece of the, the four-level conversation is a conversation for action. Okay, Helen, what are you going to do first? What's the first thing that you need to engage with or that you need to think about to activate this um, journey that's come out of breakthrough thinking? Yeah, I love it on your LinkedIn profile and those listening that want to find out a bit more or connect with Helen, she's got a great LinkedIn profile, but I like the bit that you say, through awareness, reflection, choice and action, you show up, open doors and make a conscious effort to serve the planet and uh, you certainly do that and, and this networking I suppose is a way for you to open doors but it's recognising the opportunity when you, you could be... You, you network to look for opportunities, you recognise the opportunity to then go, okay, how can this open doors? So besides the coaching and mentoring that you do, you're heavily involved in a lot of philanthropic, philanthropic work uh, and charity work and you've recently uh, been working with a group of women in Frankston, which is just up the road here from our studio. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Look, this is one of those things that um, also happens to us in life, which often creates the opportunity to get into some sort of breakthrough um, thinking and behaviour. Through a great friend of mine who works in Frankston and who's working in the social sector where um, the incidence of family violence is a real hotspot in Australia, I've been lucky enough to be tapped on the shoulder this year. And uh, I'm sure everybody's been tapped on the shoulder and sometimes we don't actually become conscious about the opportunity. But um, my dear friend, Jodie Bellier, who is leading this project, asked me to come in and be the chairman of the Women's Spirit Project. And last Sunday, we had our first group of about 43 people, which was uh, uh, included 20 participants, uh, nine mentors and a, and a few helpers that started a program, which is a 12-week experience for some uh, gorgeous women who have been doing it hard in Frankston and, and the surrounding areas to participate in getting their health and their minds and their bodies and their sort of spirit and their energy into um, optimism, you know, becoming much more um, aware of how they can be in the world, perhaps how they can be more purposeful in the world, not only to themselves but to, to uh, their families and their friends. Um, and over the, a 12-week period, we'll be taking them through all sorts of uh, exercises, health and well-being. And then in the, the final um, the finale next, next year in, in about um, April, uh, March, April, will be a 50-kilometre camp-out walk or trek. So it'll be a real sense of, you know, again, breakthrough for the people who have been participating um, as, partici as, as folks who have come in looking for something and for the mentors as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. So anyone listening here wants to find out more about the Women's Spirit Project that you're working on, where would they find information? We've got a website at www.womenspiritproject.com.au um, and uh, we've also got uh, a Facebook page, so if people want to know more information, they can reach out and they should um, uh, direct their inquiries to Jodie Bellier, 
at womenspiritproject.com.au. Great. Well, we'll put a link to our Facebook page for this wonderful project and it's so great that the, uh, that the community has access to you, Helen Woods, because uh, there's lots of doors that you can open and you really do help people become unstuck. I've been a recipient of that, so I can, uh, I can uh, vouch for that, that you do certainly do get some breakthrough thinking. And the other thing too that I really like is that you have conversations and the importance of human to human or H to H is a real theme about conversations as well and dealing with humans but you have conversations that matter I like that that matter bit because we can we can talk and have conversations that don't go anywhere or don't mean anything and we've uh, we've all had experience in that but it's you about it's you're talking about having conversations that actually matter and I think that's a, a really key to uh, to what you do well, breakthrough, breakthrough conversations are conversations that matter. They, they literally open up new ideas, pave the way for exploring and, and uh, discovery. And, you know, really, it's like a funnel. It's having a conversation that um, throws in ideas, innovation, energy, creativity, imaginization, serendipity sometimes, a bit of, ex- you know, experimental thinking, um, learning, and um, hey presto, the big game changers comes along. Yeah, that's it's great. Hellawoods, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. I'm so thrilled to have finally snagged a, a, an interview with you and for you to share your depth of uh, depth of experience and uh, and wealth of thinking. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jackie. Great. Look forward to our next encounter. Can't wait. You're listening to Taking Care of Businesses. We're picking the best brains in the business world. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That's the end of the show. Can't believe it goes so fast. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation today, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, but you can grab this show on the podcast on the RWPFM website, rwpfm.com.au, or follow us on social media. Thank you to all of our worldly guests today, and we look forward to your company next Friday, 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business. Yay!